Hello and welcome to the I Want to Know podcast. I'm Josh Spector. I'm your host. If you're new here and don't know who I am, I'm the creator of the For the Interested newsletter, which you can check out at fortheinterested.com. Also, this podcast exists to help creative entrepreneurs get their questions answered. And here's how it works. Really simple. Each episode, a different guest comes on and asks me three questions. Then we have about a 10-minute conversation about each of them. I give them hopefully some good advice and some actionable tips. And hopefully they and you learn something from it. No fluff, lots of strategies that you can use to grow your audience and business. That's what we do here. So today my guest is John Santiago. John helps brands and creators connect to create sincere sponsored content. John's built a career specializing in marketing content, having worked with global brands such as MGM Grand and the Sacramento Kings. You can check out John's newsletter, Entre Creator, which is a good name and a perfect fit for my audience. In that newsletter, he shares insights on business and creativity from creators, both big and small. So with that in mind, hey, John, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Josh. Yeah, I'm, I am excited. John and I have gotten to know each other a bit over the past couple of months. He was an advertiser in my newsletter, which I also appreciate. And I think it got pretty good results for him. So happy thankfully, about that. I wasn't spending my own money though, Josh, at the time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, that's the that's the key, right? That's the best kind of advertiser, right? The best yeah. kind of advertiser is the one with someone else's budget. Cool. So today, speaking of advertising, I know John, you have some questions about the ads in my newsletter and how I run them. And I know you've been thinking of doing some similar stuff for yourself. So I'm excited to talk about them. Let's get into it. What is the first thing you want to know? Yeah, so first and foremost, I wanted to know, what is the tech stack behind your advertising business? And why did you choose the tools that you decided to use versus maybe other competitors available? Cool. First of all, I both love and hate this question. So <laughs> I love this question because I get a million questions about tech stack as relates to newsletters, as relates to blog, as relates to advertising. Everybody wants to know, right? Especially when they're starting out, what tech stack mm -hmm. can I use? What's your tech stack? What about, you know, is this better than the other? All that kind of stuff. I hate this question because I have a general belief that tech stack is the least important element of just about anything you do as a creator. So I don't mean that to say that it's not important. And I completely understand the question, not only from you, but from other people. That's why I want to answer it, because I do think it's helpful. I'm not going to completely avoid it. But I want to sort of preface this by saying a lot of people get hung up and paralyzed by tech questions. So really, the and, and I always say, like, it's the least important part of your newsletter, because the truth is. And this is also, this also applies to sort of running ads. You can, you know, the fate of your ads or the fate of your newsletter is not dependent on your tech stack. Like almost anything you choose will work. Some may be better or easier to use or better fit than others. And I'll get into that in a second. But I think it's important for people to understand that it's not as important as the content, the strategy, the value you deliver to advertisers, the way you position the ads in your newsletter, all that stuff is, is more important. And I think sometimes people, not intentionally, but they can use the tech stack pieces as a way to sort of stall 
and avoid actually like taking the plunge. The other thing that I would say is with most things, when you pick a tech stack, you know, you're not locked into it forever. So if you make a choice and you go, eh, you know, you just make the best choice you can in the moment, see how it goes. You can always switch later. Maybe it might be a little bit of a pain in the ass, but it won't be that. It won't be that bad. Okay. So with all of that, let me get into the tech stack that I use. And I want to preface this with what I have is far from perfect. I am not a tech guy. You know, I have, mm-hmm. I know enough to sort of do the basics, but I by no means would I say I'm not a coder. I'm not a developer. That's not my that's not my background. So. When I'm looking for a tech stack for anything and the ads included, I'm always looking for like, what is going to be as simple as possible? Simple to set up, simple to use, simple for users, or in this case, ad buyers. What is the easiest thing that I can do? What I wound up choosing, well, let me, let me explain what I wound up choosing to use. So, uh, and this idea came from Emily Benedict, who who works with me and actually kind of helped set up the system and manages it for me on a week to week basis. We talked about it and we we came up with this idea of why there's all these e-commerce stores, platforms out there. And ultimately, why can't I why can't I sell an ad almost like you would sell a T-shirt? Right. Why can't I just mm-hmm. set up sort use a storefront? And let people buy instead of trying to do something specific newsletter ad related, right? Just let them, let them purchase it. You know, we'll create an image that's like, this is an ad for this issue. The same way you would create an, you'd upload an image of your t-shirt or whatever you were selling, knowing that that would be a pretty streamlined way to manage and process all those transactions. So we use Square. We literally just set up like a sort of, you know, basic square template e-commerce site. It lives on its own domain. We didn't even integrate it into my newsletter website. It was like, let's, I think we even started as an experiment. Like, let's just sort of put it up and see what happens. And then we just had to figure out the only pieces that are different compared to like buying a t-shirt is when someone buys a newsletter ad, they need to send us copy. There's that sort of piece, right? Unlike a t-shirt where you just buy it and put in your address and they send it to you. So, but what we realized we could do is we could customize the confirmation or the thank you for purchasing email that the sort of autoresponder that people get. So we did that. And that autoresponder basically said, okay, you know, thanks for buying this set, you know, reply to this email with your copy for the ad, essentially. My ads are purposefully simple. There's no images. It's literally just a certain character count and one link. And we have those instructions in that autoresponder email that people get when they purchase. So once they purchase, they get that, they sent in theory, they send back their copy. Emily, I said, again, manages all of this, right? So she sees it. And what she does then, this is manual, right? But she'll copy and paste their copy into just a Google sheet that she's set up. Mm -hmm. So when it comes time for it to go in the newsletter, all I have to do, I don't actually see any of the stuff that's going on in Square and her emails and replies with them, right? It's all going to her. I just go into a Google sheet that has the copy she's gotten from buyers. And I literally am just copying and pasting it into my newsletter. So yes, there's a little more, like if she wasn't doing that, there'd be a little more work for me. But even what she's doing is relatively basic because people are just buying 
they're replying back with their copy and then she's adding it to a Google sheet. I'm just cutting and pasting it into my newsletter. So from a tech standpoint, all it really is, is a square site and a Google sheet, right? And then me cutting and pasting into my newsletter, which is powered by ConvertKit. So, so tech-wise, it's very simple. Is it perfect? No. Are there things like, so one of the, one of the things that we've been talking about and, and trying to, to figure out, because we're always trying to figure out if there's ways to improve it, is not everyone that buys, let's say you buy an ad that's going to run a month from now, not everyone sends the copyright back. So occasionally mm-hmm. Emily has to go track them down and go, hey, it's a week from now. We still don't have your cop. That doesn't happen often, but it happens occasionally. And that that's something that we're thinking about. Are there ways we can improve it? Are there, you know, do we take buyers and put them into some kind of convert kit like auto autoresponder thing where if they haven't sent the copy, they get a reminder. But even that is pretty minor, right? So it's a little bit of a pain in the ass, but it's not, it's not that bad. The other thing about that tech stack and why we chose to do that is we have limited inventory, which we're able to do within Square, right? Which I imagine you can do in just about any typical kind of e-commerce storefront, right? So we only sell five ads in each issue. So we're able to do that automatically, right? We set it to there's five of those items. And then when people buy, the numbers automatically go down and they can automatically see when it's sold out. It works perfectly for that. If that wasn't, if there wasn't limited inventory, we didn't need that. You know, I've seen people even do just like a Google form, right? Or a a type Mm -hmm. form saying the Recommendo newsletter does that. They have a very, even more streamlined than ours. They don't have a storefront. It's literally a form and you just go through and put in your information and pay and submit your copy within that. But they don't have limited inventory. They'll sell an infinite number of ads in each issue. So by no means is the way we're doing it the only way to do it, but it has worked well for me. And I think the broader the broader takeaway is I would recommend sort of aiming for simplicity as a path yeah. to perfection. Does that make sense? Do you have any particular questions about the tech piece of it? No, that that's pretty clear to me. Uh, In fact, I think you covered co- some of the the questions that I that I had originally planned. Like some of this loosely covered. Yeah, but, I touched on uh, it. So let's well, yeah, let's go to the next thing you want to know, and then we'll dive deeper. So if you can explain to me how you just automated the process from from purchase to fulfillment, mm-hmm. and then your approach to pricing, sure, that would be great. So I touched on the automation a bit before. Basically, we're as automated as we can be while not spending a lot of time coding or developing some fancy system. So the auto, mm-hmm. you know, the the inventory management within the Square e-commerce site is basically automated because it's built in and does it on its own. The auto reply email that people get, that's automated. Then it gets manual in terms of, well, if people didn't send their copy or when they do send the copy, sometimes they might have a question or we do approve it. So there's some manual, that piece of it is manual. And then I'm manually, Emily's manually adding it to spreadsheets and I'm manually adding it to the newsletter. So it's partially automated, partially manual. Pricing, I think is, is there's a lot more, I think, for us to, to talk about in terms of pricing goes and how I chose to, to price my ads. So let me give some quick, 
backstory on that. I launched the ads in my newsletter about two years ago. For the first four years I wrote my newsletter, I was very skeptical and anti-ads. I didn't think that they, I thought they were bad for the audience. I thought it would annoy people. I thought it was misaligned incentives. And there was a woman who was a longtime subscriber to my newsletter and she reached out to me and she was a therapist who specialized in working with creative people. And she said, hey, she had recently run a classified ad in Ann Friedman's newsletter. She said it was great. She's like, I got all these people, you know, potential clients. They were the exact kind of people I wanted to reach. She was like, it's the best marketing I've ever done. And she knew that I didn't offer ads, but she asked, she's like, do you know anyone else that might have any other newsletters that might offer something similar with a similar audience? And it was weird because I was sitting here thinking about it. And I was like, I have the exact audience she wants to reach. I like helping my audience, but I'm not offering it because I have this thing in my mind that like <laughs> ads are bad or not helpful or whatever. Yeah. And I start, and it really was eye-opening because I thought about not only would this be helping her and she's a part of my audience, but she's offering basically therapy to creative people, which is a very helpful, generous, you know, even if it's paid, like it's a, it's a helpful thing that a lot of my audience would probably value from knowing that she exists as well. So I was like, why am I not? And it would help me because I could theoretically get paid. So for the first time, it was like this really eye-opening thing where I was like, this is going to help the ad buyer. It's going to help my subscribers and it would help me. And I just completely ruled it out for basically no reason, right? Just an assumption that like mm. ads are bad. So I decided to survey my audience, right? I sent them like, I think it was like a one or two question survey. And basically was like, hey, if I were to launch ads, would you be interested in, as one, one multiple choice question, would you be interested in seeing them? Would you potentially want to buy one? Or no, you hate ads, don't include them. 90% of people who responded said either they would want to see the ads or they'd be potentially be interested in buying one. Only 10% were like, no ads. I was shocked. Like, I was like, okay, I've been way wrong about all of this, mm -hmm. right? So then I decided to, to try the ads and that the other thing I realized was now in retrospect, it seems genius, but I completely stumbled onto it. I realized I had 40 or 50 people who had said they might be interested in buying. Them. I basically had generated 40 or 50 ad buyer leads from my audience without having launched or pitching or doing anything. So I started reaching out to them before I even officially launched it and said, hey, I think I'm going to do this. Do you want to buy an ad? And basically wound up selling out multiple issues before I even launched. Now, when I did that, I had to figure out how many am I going to offer? What am I going to sell it for? And I'm going to give, I used to work in the comedy industry and I used to produce stand-up comedy shows. And I, I, there's an analogy that I use or this influenced my decision of how to price and what inventory to make available. If you're doing a comedy show, and this is true for anything, but if you're doing, if you're launching, let's say a new like weekly comedy, stand-up comedy show, and you think that you can sell 70 tickets on a regular basis or whatever, and your options are a theater that holds a hundred or a theater that holds 50, most people would go, the instinct would be, I'm going to go theater that holds a hundred because I don't, I can sell 70. So I want to make as much money as I can. Right. 
I want to be able to sell seven. Mm-hmm. I don't want to take a 50 theater, a theater that's a little too small, and then only sell 50. But the truth is you want the 50. Because what you're doing when you're launching a new show or launching something like that is the you want it to seem like a hot property. You want the buzz around it. So having 20 people a week who can't get tickets, all of a sudden everyone's like, have you seen that new show? That's like a hot new thing. And that builds it. It creates a perception of a sort of hot product, right? Even though you only sold 50 tickets instead of 70 in the bigger place. If you sell 70, everyone's like, oh, you can always get tickets to that show. There's 30 empty seats. No one's talking about, oh, did you see that new hot show? Even though you sold more tickets than the smaller venue, right? So I had that in my mind. And I was like, when I launch these ads, I want them to be perceived as a hot product and in-demand product. So I'm going to do two things to make that happen. One is, well, three things. One is I'm going to limit availability. So I was like, I'm only going to offer five per issue, not going to sell like however many people want to buy it. Because what I actually wanted was I wanted to be able to say they're sold out, they're sold out, they're sold out, they're sold out, right? That's what I wanted, less so than the money in the short term. I wanted the perception of, especially when launching this, right? Because who knows? And I didn't really know how successful they would be or not, but I wanted it to be sold out. So I limited the, the inventory. I also, because I wanted it to be sold out, was like, I don't exactly know where I should price this, but I'm going to aim low. I want it to be a no-brainer, right? So I had whatever I had, 15,000 or 17,000 subscribers at that time. I priced those ads at $50 because in my own mind, I was like, I don't know how they're going to perform. I don't know whatever, but at $50, that seems sort of like a no-brainer. Again, I was just trying to get sold out. And my belief was... Mm -hmm. And then the third, well, the third thing I did was reaching out to those people who had said they were interested before I even launched it. So that allowed me to, when I officially launched it and said, hey, I'm selling ads now, blah, blah, blah. And people would go to the Square e-commerce store. They would see multiple issues were already sold out. They would see that it was only $50 and it would be perceived as a hot product. Their first perception of my ads are those must be valuable and those are in demand. And if I'm even thinking about buying one, I better buy one now or I'm not going to be able to or whatever. Right. It also allowed me when I was talking to them to be able to say, as it went, you know, every issue sold out since I launched two months ago. Like, and, and, uh, mm-hmm. to this day, almost every issue I've ever done has sold out right? It's also always easier. To, and this is when I went into a thinking, right? But, you know, knowing if they work, if they deliver, if they work, okay, good value, I'm going to be able to raise the price. Right. And that's what I've done. So I went, I, they started at 50. I went to 65. Eventually I went to 80. I went to hundred. I went to 200. I'm getting ready to go up again, probably to 300. We'll see. Continuing to sell out. Now, the ads have also delivered a key point. If the ads weren't working at some point, you're not going to be, perception doesn't, perception's going to change because people that buy are going to not buy again and go, this wasn't worth it. But so obviously the ads have to work, but that's how, that's how I rolled it out. That's why I limited the inventory. The other thing that happened is a year or so after I was running the ads, I launched the daily, because originally it was just the weekly Sunday version. 
When I launched the daily version, I then realized that when you buy, you get the Sunday and a daily because the daily drove a lot of clicks and really made the product way more valuable. Well, there's only five days a week. So I couldn't, I guess I could put multiple ads in daily newsletters. Theoretically, I could do two ads, whatever, but I, I didn't really want to do that. So that mm -hmm. also limits me to five for the moment. But I think that that scarcity, that urgency, that perception is very helpful. And I, I would recommend it, especially early on with ad things, because I think a lot of people think about, you know, how much could I sell these for? And I think early on, you're, there's probably more value to selling out and creating the perception that it's a hot product than just getting as much as you possibly can. I, I didn't want to launch ads and have people see like people weren't buying them. I didn't think that was a great way to sort of establish the tone. That said, on the flip side, my ads are probably underpriced. You tell me because you've done a lot of ad buying all over, all over <laughs> the place. So, you know, you tell what's your, I'm curious, what has been your perception of you've bought ads and lots of newsletters and lots of other things. How do you think about pricing and market and all that as a buyer? Well, I would say that your ads are still greatly mm. underpriced, even if you're going to increase them yeah. to $300, because I've done ad buys with other, with other newsletters and, and other placements, and they're charging maybe five times mm -hmm. more. And in terms of click-throughs and actual users and visits to the website, they pale in comparison to what what I was getting from running ads in, yeah. in your Thank newsletter. you. It's, so you have a very engaged yeah, audience. Yeah, and it's, it's funny because I think I've spoiled myself because I've also bought ads in lots of places to promote my newsletter. And like every time I'm like, I kind of can't believe, I'm like, wait a minute. Like I got not, like I just paid X amount. Like I wish, and, and you know, what's yeah. funny is this is also like an interesting metric, like what I'm about to say. Like, I wish I could buy ads in my own newsletter, right? Which if you feel like that about your newsletter, that's probably a pretty good sign in terms of assessing, assessing value, right? I wish I could find a newsletter where I could get the results that people get from mine. And, you know, because price is so, it's such a variable. I will say just in general that when I was first thinking about it or sort of measuring results, just in my own mind, I was kind of like, well, because everybody has different goals, right? So some people are just promoting a free newsletter. Some people are selling a product, a service. Some people, it's a $10 product. Some people, it's a $1,000 product, right? So, you know, in terms of what's worth it, like I've just kind of thought like, look, if I can get people clicks at a dollar a click, that's pretty good. Kind mm -hmm. of across the board, yeah. regardless for what they're doing. Like, you know, for me, myself, if I could get clicks, you know, as long as they're relevant, good, legitimate clicks, for a dollar click, like that's pretty good. So, you know, I, you know, so right now, like if I'm at $200 and it's not unusual for people to get 250, 300 clicks, like that's, that's really good. Like just as a general benchmark. And again, it depends on audience and who you're selling to. And, you know, and I haven't done a lot of big brand stuff either. I've sold mostly to sort of people that are in my audience. So by no means am I saying, you know, again, take what I'm saying with a grain of salt, because I do think I'm underpriced. But for people that are like, well, where do I start? Or what should I think about pricing? If you're doing a dollar, you know, dollar clicks pretty good. People are going to be pretty happy with that in general. Uh, cool. So let's yeah. go to your third question. What else do you want to know?
Yeah. So you touched on this a little bit earlier. You mentioned your your assistant, Emily, who's helping you out with fulfilling orders. And I was just curious if you would say that it's a must to have somebody else who is basically handling that side of fulfillment or, you know, can a creator do all of this on their own? I definitely don't think it's a must. It certainly helps. Right. And and I think this is I'm actually going to broaden this out because I think it's it's not just, you know, ad management is one of the things she does for me. She helps me with a bunch of other logistical stuff. And I think the the sort of the sort of deeper question is how important, necessary, helpful is it if you're a sort of solopreneur, creator, entrepreneur type to have help, right? To have someone do this and do you need that? And I don't think that you absolutely need that. And I don't think it's a must. I do think it's incredibly helpful. And I think that if you can afford it, even in some small way, like Emily's not full-time, she has other clients and does other stuff, right? She helps me with certain specific things. And if you can afford it, it's great. I also think there, you know, you don't have to be, it's possible that you might only need someone to help you with the ad, like the ad management piece of what she does for me probably doesn't take all that long. Like I would guess it's, maybe a couple hours a week, right? So if there's someone out there and it's like, you could find someone that you pay for two hours a week, it's probably worth it, depending on how busy you are and what you're doing. And if, you know, you have revenue coming in and the ads are are helping with that. But that said, don't need it. And I think that you, if I didn't have help, both with the ads and with other stuff, it would change the way I do things, Right. So mm-hmm. I would take into account, like, here's a, here's a very concrete example with the ad management stuff. If I didn't have Emily able to sort of chase people down if they didn't send in their copy, right? Like, if they didn't give their copy and she's like, oh, hey, your ad's going to run. I still need your copy. I might change my policy to basically be like, you need to submit your copy up front or you need to reply with your copy. And like, if you don't, sorry, like I'm not chasing, like I, if it was just me and I didn't have help, I would not chase people for copy. Mm-hmm. Like if you forget to send your copy in, that's on you. Sorry. Right. So I, it's that kind of things, those kinds of things that I would potentially change. The other thing is I might potentially change if I felt like managing it with five ads a week was too much. I might go, you know what? I'm going to sell three ads a week or I'm going to sell two ads a week and I'm going to raise the price just so there's less back and forth, right? Or maybe I would sell, you can't just buy one week, you have to buy a month. So I'm basically selling to five buyers a month as opposed to 20 buyers a month. So I would adjust the way I Mm -hmm. pitch things to account for the limited time that I have. And in some ways, even with help, I'm already doing that. So for example... If I had more help or wanted to hire more help or had different help, I theoretically, one of the reasons I don't have many big brand advertisers is because like, I don't want to spend my time chasing, pitching brands and doing all that stuff. Hypothetically, I could hire someone and say, your job is to go get me big advertisers. So if you think about it as a spectrum that like the level of help you have 
you're adjusting your offerings and your sort of what you're pursuing based on that level of help, right? If I had less help, I'd probably restructure so and create a system in a way that, or process in a way that requires sort of less time. If I had more help, I might go after other, and arguably I should. Like, I, again, I'm not saying that like the way I'm doing it is right necessarily, but that's how I would think about it. So I don't think that, and this again, this extends not just to ad management. I don't think any creator must have help. But if you're not going to have help, I think you must adjust your process and system and approach to match the fact that you don't have help so that you don't drown in it, right? Emily helps me organize. She doesn't write tweets for me, but she helps me. There's a whole spreadsheet we have because I repurpose tweets and stuff all the time. If it was just me, that would not be as organized and as and happening the same way, right? She schedules, you know, she schedules stuff. It would be different. It would be simplified. There would be less. Maybe I'd be less organized about it. I would figure out how to do it myself. But having that help allows me to do it in sort of bigger, bigger ways. Let me ask you, are you thinking about it as you, you know, whether it's ads or other stuff, are you thinking, what's your stance on it? Are you trying to figure out how to do it yourself? Or are you trying to figure out how to get help? Well, I'm thinking about trying to do something like you've set up for one of my mm -hmm. friend's old colleagues who I'm working with, who's a creator himself and, and testing it out and seeing if a self, you know, basically like an mm -hmm. e-commerce store setup could work at the same time too. Like I have also started trying to help out creators and, and help them land mm -hmm. brand deals themselves by essentially working on commission. So that's another front where maybe, you know, I'm going the route of maybe trying to have yeah. more formal negotiations. There are more discussions back and forth with, with brands that wouldn't necessarily be the, you know, the, the very simplistic setup that you, you have on, on your. Yeah. I mean, your what I would recommend is with whatever you're doing, right. Even in a more complex, more high touch back and forth, look for any way you can to simplify it. And there's probably ways it can probably be made more simple, even just little things, right? Recurring tasks that you're doing or the way you're presenting it, you know, like, you know, as opposed to, I'm just making this up, right? But as opposed to sort of having these open-ended conversations about let's talk about how we can work together, just go in and be like, boom, here's the, you know, it's funny, you and I know we're talking about a different kind of sponsorship and you could see how it shifted from initially, like we both wanted to work together and let's figure out what we could do together, shifted into here's three specific options, right? Yeah. Like, like, let's just let's yeah. cut to the chase. And whether it comes, you know, I think in that case, you know, I was the one quote unquote selling it. So I came up with the options, but I think even as a buyer, I think so much time is wasted in these conversations and everyone has the best intentions. Like, I don't mean it as a criticism, but it's like waiting for someone to just sort of codify and go, here's a pitch, right? Here, here's here's what it is. is. Yes. Let's be exactly. specific. What do you like? What do you don't? What do you don't like? What are the issues? Okay, you don't have this, or vice versa, right? What's your budget? Okay, you have this budget. Great. Here's three different ways that we could, three different things we can do. I think trying to get to 
specifics. You know, one of the things I talk about all the time also, especially in like sales or, or any kind of sort of negotiations or whatever, a quick no is not a bad thing, right? Like get to know mm -hmm. fast, even if you then are pitching something else, right? I think people sometimes are so afraid to get to the no that they're sort of dragging it out that they kind of don't ever make the sort of official pitch. I'd rather pitch something, have you be like, no, that doesn't work. And then go, okay, well, why? It doesn't work because of X, Y, and Z. Perfect. Let me come back and, and be like that, mm -hmm. right? I think that streamlining can be done even in more complicated stuff because I just think a lot of times people on both sides, again, through no fault, people even that want to work together, it's just they're sort of dragging their heels where it's like, let's just cut to the chase. Like there's things you know you don't want. There's things you know you want and vice versa. Like let's kind of put it all, put it all on the table and start talking specifics. Otherwise things can just drag forever. Yeah. I think that comes from just this fear of not wanting, like you said, not wanting to yeah. the deal to fall through. And just kind of being like, well, yeah, you go first. No, you go. Yeah, first. especially no, you go first. And it's always especially when both yeah, sides genuinely want something to happen. Right. It's easier if someone's just blowing it off. Yes. I don't care. I'm not interested or whatever. Right. But when a lot of times when both sides want something to happen, it does fall into like, you're right. They don't want it to fall through and it drags. And that's why, like, one of the things I always say to people and always remind myself is like a quick no is really valuable because otherwise you're just mm -hmm. wasting, not wasting time, but you're just dragging stuff out and you're sort of in this ether and now things become very complicated and that's preventing you from doing other stuff. It's preventing you from even doing other stuff with that potential partner or customer or whatever. Like let's get to the, let, let's get to the thing quickly I would much rather have someone say no than, oh, well, why don't you come back and, you know, we'll meet with some other people and, you know, put together sort of show us some other ideas. And, you know, it's like, like, no, like, okay, like, we'll show, we can do yeah. that. But like, are these ideas dead? Like, why are they dead? Or like, what do you actually want? So, you know, um, so you can get there. But yeah, cool. Uh, well, yeah, definitely. Thank you so much for doing this. I appreciate the questions. I'm sure my audience will as well. If people want to learn more about you, where should they go? What should they check out? Yeah. So you can go ahead and check out my newsletter. It is the creator.beehive.com. You can find yeah. that. I'm sure you'll link to that in the uh, show notes of the episode. And then I can also be found on Twitter at twitter.com slash it's John J O N Santiago. Or search me up on LinkedIn and you can add me there as a as a as a contact. If you're a creator, want to connect, talk about some of these things, definitely open to chatting and seeing if I can help you potentially collect connect with with well, brands. I might be want. hitting you up on one, on one of those channels. And for me, yeah, the list of stuff that you you can follow. First of all, please check out my newsletter for theinterested.com slash subscribe. I do a series of video workshops called Skill Sessions. You can get those at joshspector.com slash sessions. If you would like to hire me for a coaching call or consulting, go to joshspector.com slash consulting. I'm on Twitter all the time at jspector. And if you would like to be a guest on this show and come ask me three questions, go to joshspector.com slash questions. 
and you can apply there. That's about it. Thank you, John. Thank you everyone for your interest. And I will see you next week.